recording by the way we're not gonna put this part out there we do not edit do it of course not i'm not a complete idiot i'm only 80 percent idiot <laughs> me 82 or 83 it depends on the day really welcome to the duke and duchess podcast welcome back I'm Chad. I'm Liz. And we are here reading chapters 68 through 71 of Words of Radiance by the inimitable Brandon Sanderson. We haven't said inimitable in a while. It's been a little while. There it is. We are here in episode 93. Our next book club will be covering chapters 72 through interlude 14 of the Words of Radiance. 14 interludes? Uh we will be covering the end of, I believe it's part five that we are in right now. All right. Usually we stop. We're not stopping. Yeah, we're, we're not collecting yeah. $200. Oh, it's four. Okay. Yeah. The end of the current part and then go ahead and read the next three interludes. Man. We're not going to hold you back. Sweet. I'm digging it. So what'd you think of the section? I mean, I, there's some good stuff for me in this section. I know the last section probably moved a little slowly for you. Some kind of moments you found kind of silly. How did this week's reading compare? I think this week's reading was a huge step up in my personal enjoyment of the book. Yes, this has some of the some of my favorite parts are in here that aren't part of like the, you know, the end finale scenes. Of course, those are always my favorite parts. Of course, yeah. But some of the the less exciting but funny um, character moments we have in here. Yeah, I enjoy I enjoyed this section overall. I'm looking forward to getting into the details with you. Well, chapter 68 is called Bridges. In this chapter, Kaladin heads out with Dalinar's scouting party. His powers are coming and going in fits and spurts as his relationship with Syl becomes more and more strained. Just as Kaladin thinks the boredom of interacting with stupid light eyes is going to kill him, something exciting happens. <laughs> the bridge is sabotaged by one of Sadius's carpenters, and they all tumble into a chasm. Whee! That, that's one way to put it. <laughs> oh, if only something exciting would happen. <laughs> like, say, a car accident. <laughs> No, I mean, for me, the the whole beginning part of this chapter, we're all in Kaladin's head, and he's basically just walking around thinking about how everyone else is the worst. <laughs> this guy. Oh, he's the worst. Yeah. Oh, no. No, no, this guy. He's the worst. He's the worst. Everyone's the worst. These people I wish we'd all just twitch. jump into a chasm together. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that could make this party better would be if it was a chasm party. <laughs> Bring all your chasm friends. <laughs> chasm party. 2019. So yeah, you know, we open up with Kaladin still beating himself up over whether he could have saved more of Bridge 4. So he's kind of going back there. I caught that, but I want to kind of say it's an improvement in one regard that he's sort of owning up to the concept that he never opened his mouth or accepted who he was, and that's what the fault was. So it's it's sort of a halfway step in terms of taking some responsibility, which is something we've really wanted to see from him for a while. That's true, and he doesn't sit and dwell in that thought, as we've seen him do in past chapters. Um, and we see him... And we see him mostly wrapped up in what's going on with Syl and what's going on with him not being able to suck in Stormlight like he used to. Yeah. He's, a, he's losing his powers. That's a major problem. We talked about last time the idea that Syl was sort of regressing. And I, it, I'll be straight up honest with you because that's my job on this podcast. <laughs> It did not cross my mind that he was going to lose his powers. 
because we had that one scene in the prison. Right. But I thought that was just more a matter of like how far away he was from the spheres. Right. Because Brandon Sanderson likes to sort of give you these examples to give you an understanding of what kind of the limits are. Right. So I really didn't think much of it other than the weakening relationship with Syl. Now it seems very obvious that, yes, if that relationship is weakened, he's not going to have his powers. But I did not put two and two together until this chapter. And it takes Kaladin even longer to figure out exactly what is going on with his powers. So this is kind of the one of the work for me, one of Kaladin's worst moments. And I get that we're as the reader, you know, we're kind of outside where we know all this stuff. We're kind of omniscient viewers. And so maybe it's easier for us to see that, oh, hey, yeah, Syl is obviously there's something wrong with her. But the way that he reacts is with this just sort of pouty, she's, why is she punishing me? Because she doesn't like what I'm doing. Yeah. And, and he kind of spends a lot of pages being like, ah, oh, stupid spren and their stupid simplistic morality. You yeah. know, why mm -hmm. is she got to not let me do whatever I want to do with the magic powers that our relationship has granted me? You know, so that it, it's kind of insufferable. And thankfully, he doesn't stay there for very long, though. He seems to be somewhat shocked that choosing to be complicit in a murder is a line too far for an honor sprint. <laughs> right, right. Shocker. It's interesting, though, because from a character standpoint, because we see him becoming more and more like the people he despises. And yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You know, like I could speculate Amram having similar thoughts about his decision to kill Kaladin's men to get the, the shard blade. And and we hear him rationalizing. This is for the greater good. It's, it's for justice. It's for justice. It'll be, you know, more useful to the country if I have this shard blade. You know, really, forget about it. It's what I really want. This is really for the good of everybody. Yeah. And here, you know, we hear Kaladin starting to use that same rationale to justify being part of this assassination plot against Elokar. So it's interesting. It's, it's just an interesting character moment and one that we hope he'll move past. Yeah. There's also for me, the sort of juxtaposition between his fairly unwavering respect for Dalinar mm -hmm. with his willingness to murder his nephew. That's just a hard thing to put those two together. Oh, Dalinar such a great guy. He probably won't mind if I murder his nephew. He'll understand. Oh, he's he's not going to get harmed. We're going to make sure he's not in the war camp when it happens. Yeah. And he's got the, the relationship with Moash, too, I think, kind of muddies the waters. You know, here's the one person that ever stood up to him and the one person that he considered a friend and a peer more than one of his men, one of his soldiers, and Moash is obviously pushing really hard for him to be part of this and telling him it's absolutely the right thing to do and really feeding into Kaladin's deep-seated hatred of the Light Eyes. And his desire to place blame for everything that's happened in his life on all of them. Now, to be fair, and what makes this complicated is that he has had some incredibly shitty things done to him strictly because he's a dark eye. Yeah. And I definitely, well, I'm going to get into that a little bit later when we are kind of going to talk about the debate that he has with Shallan. Mm -hmm. Some of that is really hard for me to, to kind of process because of the extreme inequality between the light eyes and the dark eyes in the society and the unfairness there. And it's hard to accept like these arguments that he has with Shallan and then, and that, that she is supposedly winning when she's really kind of not acknowledging that at all. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I, I will get into more, more of that later, but yes, absolutely. The inequality in the Alethi society is um, definitely gives them, a valid reason for, for what they think they need to do. However, what Syl keeps saying to Kaladin is, you need to do 
what's right in your heart. And he keeps saying, well, I am. And she keeps saying, I don't think you are. And that seems to be the crux of the problem. Yeah, absolutely. She also tells him, you have to find the next words. You have to find them. The thing about the whole Kaladin thing that we were talking about last episode, and we're talking about in this chapter with his really just sinking down into a really, really dark place is as much as it's not enjoyable to read, it does strike me as being a good study in how somebody experiences this rationalization as they move further and further away from their core spiritual beliefs. Mm-hmm. And how you can talk yourself into anything, Mm -hmm. particularly if you pull yourself away and isolate yourself from your fellow men and women and don't talk to people about what you're doing and thinking and going through. Suddenly the most ridiculous things in the world seem normal because we are social creatures and we need other people around us to kind of check us and keep us, you know, moving forward in the right direction. And Kaladin has withdrawn himself so much. And you're right, Moash is really, Moash and Teft are about the only people he confides in to any degree. And even with them, it's a really limited part of himself that he's willing to share. That's true. And I think that what you're describing is such a universal human experience. I think it's something that all of us can relate to, having gone through at some point, uh, to some degree. And I think it's interesting, too, how the the one person that seems to know him the best is Syl, because she's kind of in tune with his thoughts, or at least his feelings. Yeah. She seems to be able to really sense what's going on with him. And she is the one that we see him dismissing the most mm-hmm. and right around this time is when we see him starting to kind of like just put her down as as being not an intelligent creature what does she know you know he what at one point in this chapter he says living with her according to her morality would be like living with a noose around my neck <laughs> and you're like what that doesn't even make sense but isn't that true that the people who are closest to us are the ones we push away the the hardest when we're in that place? Absolutely. So he has a couple more conversations as they're walking across the Shattered Plains. He talks to Dalinar for a little while. He talks to some of the scouts who are apparently totally badass. They leap the chasms with like long poles and they like carve cubbies out of the rock and just hide through the high storms in them. Pretty groovy. They're badass. One of the scouts tells them that he's... LLVI, baby, all the way. Exactly. Uh, one of the scouts tells them that he's seen a glowing figure chilling out here on the on the Shattered Plains. Yeah, which was interesting to me. So that was something I took a note of. They're telling Dalinar they see this person glowing white zipping through the sky. Kaladin's been in prison for three weeks. Now, we know Kaladin, before he went to prison, was out there zipping around glowing white. Mm-hmm. So it means one of two things. Either this report is very late or there's somebody out there flying around, somebody else. And we don't know which. Right. Kaladin seems to think they're talking about him. Yeah, because he's like, uh, (laughs) hey, guys. Yeah. Uh, How can I change the subject? Right. So he seems to think it's talking about him. But it could be Seth, or it could be some third party. Some rando. We don't know. Some total rando. Could be Shazam. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. I am waiting for a good Stormlight Shazam crossover. (laughs) I mean, Shazam's got the lightning bolt. It fits perfectly. 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 (laughs) So Dalinar also tells Kaladin that He's really worried about Elakar leaving him alone and that next time he goes off, he's going to leave. He wants to leave Kaladin there to guard him. And Kaladin is like, well, it's like fate is intervening for me to kill this guy. 
It's ridiculous. <laughs> is it though? But they also talk about Renarin. And can we just talk about how this is like low key the best part of the book is Renarin just joining Bridge Four <laughs> and just being like, hey guys. I'm in Bridge Four now. Slumming it with Bridge Four. He's not slumming it though. He like loves it, you know. And uh, Kaladin saying, "Well, but, but but here's here's why I make that comment though, and I and I, it's not that important to the overall story, but mm-hmm. but I think it it's important to me that I think when you come out and you treat someone's horrible life existence as though ooh it's a fun time on the on the on the plains let's go camping and pretend we're bridgemen is insulting to the experience they had to suffer through see i don't think it's meant to be that way though i don't think it's meant to be that way either i'm just it could it could go that way however so I think what's important to remember is when Renarin joined up with Bridge Four, he says Adolin at one point joined a spearman company for like two months. Yeah. And learned to be like, learned what it was like, uh, you know, learned the tools of the soldiering trade Mm -hmm. as, as part of his education. But I never did that. So that's what he's doing here. This is not like, like poverty tourism. This is not like, Good point. He's like, I want to learn about fighting and I want to, you know, you guys are the best. So he's joining this Spearman company. Good, good point. I appreciate that correction. And what Kaladin says about him joining Bridge 4 is what I think what makes it so cool. Because Dalinar is like, I don't know if this is good for him. Is he just escaping his responsibilities? And Kaladin's like, look, I'm going to be blunt. Yeah, he... Renarin (laughs) is a... He's a square peg, you know? He is not fitting in with the other toys. And maybe he belongs with us. He's like, this is this is the band. We are the band of misfit toys is yep. Bridge Four. And he seems to be fitting right in. So it looks like he's right where he's supposed to be. And I just thought that was cool, you know? No, that was a good part. That was a good line. I enjoyed that. So, another con- so there are two other conversations that I wanted to right. highlight in this chapter. The first is that when Syl and Kaladin are talking about the Knight's Radiance, he says, I'm broken. And Syl says, all the Knight's Radiance were silly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just thought that was an interesting line. Yeah, that's an important line. I'm interested to learn more about that and see where else, to see where else that goes. I tend to think everybody's a little bit broken. So I'm not quite sure what that really means, but we'll see. Well, we've talked before about this concept of self-awareness, psychological growth and improvement being tied to the progression of the Knight's Radiance powers. And that seems to be a little bit different for each of the orders, but the overall schema of becoming a better person, growing as a person being tied to your your powers seems to be that's like an overarching theme and how cool that is. So it would make sense that then having some sort of psychological trauma that you're trying to overcome would predispose you to being, you know, having more room for growth and therefore, you know, attracting spren. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it's just so cool. Like, like, who else has done something like that oh, with nobody, magic Nobody systems? that I know of. You know? I think it's so interesting. It is. It also means that, like, the greatest Knights Radiant ever on this planet would be, like, Ted Bundy? Pol Pot? No. Ceausescu? It's not like a direct... It's not like a direct correlation. Well, I mean, you know... We're talking about psychological trauma, not, like, psychosis. Important distinction, I see. <laughs> so the other conversation I want to point out is at the very end of the chapter when he starts talking with Shalon and they begin quipping back and forth at each other. Mm-hmm. She glanced at him and says, you're smarter than you look. Then turning back to her drawing, she added, good thing. He grunted. Why does everything you say have to include some quip? Uh... Because I'm a Brandon Sanderson character, obviously, she said. 
So what do you think? Is she right in her assessment of like Kaladin and Adolin's dynamic? Because Shallan, her whole thing is that Adolin's trying to be so nice to you and you're just, you know, you just put him down. You're being an asshole. Well, I, I think she has Kaladin 100% picked. I think she's a little puppy dog eyes mm-hmm. around Adolin mm-hmm. and doesn't see any of his shortcomings. Right. So I don't know how accurate that makes it in terms of the dynamic. I don't feel like I can comment on that, but I do feel that she 100% has Kaladin nailed down. Yeah, I feel like she ignores a little bit how Adolin, his whole calling Kaladin bridge boy, even though he knows it bothers him. Yeah. You know, why? like, why has he got to be that way? He was kind of a bully. Yeah. And, and she's like, he's so charming. Look at him. But... What she sees, now he's over there talking with the other Bridgman, Mm -hmm. and yeah, that's cool, but he's also sort of like posing and being like, check out my muscles, Mm -hmm. you know, like he's, he's not, he's not an evil character, but he's a Chad. Maybe a little bit of a Chad. Oh, he's totally a Chad. Maybe a little bit. Popped collar, two types of cologne, braided leather belt. Boat shoes, no socks. Oh, you're hurting my heart. Come on now. (laughs) That's all I have to say for this chapter. Well, the only, the other interesting thing about the conversation with Shallan is what's inside the boulder. Oh, yeah. So she runs over, she asks Adolin, she sees moss growing in a weird pattern. She asks Adolin to dissect the boulder. And inside is. I'm like, is she going to carry this rock with her the whole time? Right. But no, inside is what they could, by when she looks inside, they can tell that there used to be a structure here. Yeah. So that's something you speculated about. Long time ago. Weeks ago. Yeah. yeah, long time ago. I mean, well. I mean, it was set up pretty well, but. Yeah. And, so. and once you got to the point with the Parshendi. Right. You know, they clearly weren't living in tents. Right. So then it became pretty obvious. But it also is one of the other things that I predicted that like. The Parshendi, now the Parshendi obviously know it's a bunch of buildings, right? But the Parshendi have been living out here for years. The Alethi have been living out here for years. And it's going to take one of the main characters to walk up and be like, this is an old city. There's a pattern here. The Oathgate's right there. Like, (laughs) like, come on, man. The Parshendi have lived in Narok for six years and you're going to walk right up to the to the oath gate. So that's a little a little dodgy, but I'll wait to see how it plays out cuz I don't know exactly where the oath gate is. It might be in a place where it would be logical for them not to find it. Right. I'll hold my righteous indignation for a later time. I mean, I think that we're also we're also just supposed to understand that like Shalan and Yasna are kind of the smartest of the smart. Oh, yeah. So we've had it laid out pretty clearly. There are hints that there are buildings underneath all of the creme. But, I mean, for me, I could buy that that other characters who have been out here and have just really been focused on getting gem hearts, that that just hasn't been a priority for them to figure that stuff out. That's true. What they're focused on is 100% completely different. Yeah. For sure. Also, I just thought it was kind of funny, Adolin trying to figure out what's up with Kaladin by being like, oh, we know yeah. why you don't need a shard blade, right? Right? Because of that thing, that thing we both know about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kaladin's like, whatever. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and he also talks to Moash for a little bit, and Moash, you know, is like, tells him that the assassins oh, are almost ready. Yeah, and they're going to shoot him with an arrow. You just, I'll just, you just need to put him in the right spot. Oh, like that's not good. He'd be like, "Hey, stand, no, a little to the left, right, right there, perfect." Oh no, he's shot with an arrow. Like that way, you won't be implicated. It's terrible. (laughs) What? It's really bad. Uh, uh. So then the bridge collapses. It all goes to hell. Yep, because of that one mysterious guy that Kaladin was like, "I recognize that guy." I don't know where I recognize him from. He's got that birthmark that says I'm evil right on his forehead. (laughs) 
Anybody it's else around here with a scar on their face always tends to be evil. <laughs> he seems to be hiding his eyes an awful lot. He's been, he's been drawn to be tall and lean with an angular face and dark eyes. He, Probably one of the good guys. <laughs> he was passing out red shirts to <laughs> every soldier who got up to the bridge. So weird. He seems to be curling a mustache with his fingers. <laughs> so he throws the lever. Down they go. Chapter 69 is called Nothing. Nice. Kaladin manages to grasp a bit of stormlight right before he hits the bottom of the chasm. He's relieved not to find Dalinar dead and surprised to find Shallan alive. They both assume that they saved the other and set off in what they hope is the direction of the war camp, bickering all the way. Right when things can't seem to get any worse, they hear the telltale scrape of carapace on stone. The chasm fiend everyone has been speculating about shows up. So this is kind of interesting. Kaladin is like, he's been trying to get Stormlight all day. He's not been helped. He's not been able to do it. If you notice the few times in the last couple of chapters that he has been able to, Syl has been right there. Yeah, like immediately adjacent to it. Right. She's been right there and she's been like within her wits. So, I mean, it's, there's definitely a tie there. So For sure. He's falling. He's finally facing death. Sill screams, and that's when he's able to get Stormlight. And the scream that she that he hears sounds like the scream that he heard when he touched the shard blade in the arena. Yeah. And then he hears a voice saying, what have you done? And then he's like, oh, that was weird. It's not good, man. So he and Shallan both assume that they saved the other, and they're just so grateful that the other is not asking them any questions, that yeah, they don't yeah. really think about it anymore. Yeah, and they don't ask the other one any... Right, they're like, oh, I must have saved. Oh, thank God. <laughs> She's yeah, right. not trying to figure out how we both survived. Uh -huh. So that thing, like you said, where Syl screams while he's falling is interesting because, as you said, same thing as when he touched the shard blade... I feel like it's the severing of the bond between them. Because they talk about when the Radiants turned their backs on the Spren, it almost killed some of them. So, like, that's her expression of pain. And from this point on, through the remainder of the chapters in this section, we don't see Syl at all. Mm -hmm. She's not present at all. Mm -hmm. Other Spren are present. It's not as though there's been some anti-Spren shield. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's a significant thing we want to continue to watch for. The other thing is Kaladin wakes up in this chapter. He's swimming in a liquid, but a liquid that does not get inside of him. That's the way he describes his Kind pain. of coming up out of the pain mm -hmm. before he opens his eyes, which reminds you a little of Yasna and Shalon in Shadesmar. Mm. So was he briefly in Shadesmar, but not? Do, he doesn't really realize it. From there, this distant voice comes in. Is it, you know, what have you done? I'm thinking it's that Spren that didn't want Sill to go to him. Mm -hmm saying, you know, and recognizing the damage that has been done to Syl through all these behaviors. It's strange, though, because the whole, if I'm right, and it is like the severing of the bond, be it permanent or not, it's strange because in the instance that it happens, it's when he nearly dies. But it's not as though he did anything wrong, unlike touching the shard blade, which... He, you know, we knew that that was going to be something that was going to cause a problem. He's been near death in the past. Mm -hmm. He's fallen in the past and not had this experience. Mm -hmm. So, so why now? I don't know. I don't have an answer. I'm just, these are the questions because it's, again, it's not as though, it's not the first time we've heard it. Mm -hmm. It's also not the first time he's fallen off of something. All good questions. 
So Kaladin and Shallan's excellent adventure. Yeah. What do we <laughs> What do we think about that? Oh. Please God don't let this turn into a, a love triangle. Now you know I hate a love triangle, right? I do. And you know I I like these books, right? Yeah. All right. Like Riley and Angel and Buffy. Oh, stop. You just hated that so much that every Tuesday night you were in front of the television. <laughs> She's headbutting the microphone. Can we at least agree that Riley was the worst? No. Shut your mouth. The Shut worst. your mouth. They only made him the worst because they needed an excuse to get him off the show because, God forbid, there be a stable, healthy relationship on television that young women watch. I'm just saying. Oh, but the real Riley was completely normal and fine. I'm saying he was completely normal and fine in the beginning. And then people were like, oh, no, we can't have like healthy communication and a and a secure like character who's not. That's a, boring. <laughs> that's boring. Blah, blah, blah. Let's make him like addicted to vampires chewing on his neck. <laughs> Rolling my. Ah, don't. Don't bring it up. This has been the inaugural episode of the Buffy cast by the Duke and Duchess. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Shadolin or Shaladin? Ooh. What do you think? Or think carefully because there is definitely a right and a wrong answer. Or Kalan. No, no, no. I'm oh, saying I see what I'm there. saying, do you like Shadolin or Shaladin? Oh, Shadolin. Thank you. Okay, yes. No, yeah. We, we can continue the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you have chosen wisely. Yes. <laughs> the water was in my mouth the whole time. <laughs> but yeah, I, so, but I like Kaladin and Shallan's back and forth more than I like the the back and forth between him and Adolin because that just seems kind of one-sided because Kaladin is obviously much smarter than Adolin yeah. And there, you know, Adolin seems to be kind of now he's giving off this like earnest kind of puppy dog vibe. He's like, hey, you know, I trust you and we're friends now and you saved my life. And Kaladin's still just like fucking Chad. But Kaladin and Shallan seem a little bit more evenly matched as far as she knows he despises her. And like, she's like, all right. But I have to say. Her still calling him bridge boy is off-putting. Agreed. Like, it's off-putting. And it for me, it, like, denigrates her position. And I think she yeah. is supposed to come off as being, like, as putting him in his place, showing him stuff about himself, being the winner of these arguments. And I, that doesn't come across well for me. She's the, really yeah. insensitive to the fact, to all the stuff that he has suffered and the extreme inequality in their society. And she's basically like, oh, boo-hoo, life's not fair, too bad, you know? Like, no. No, I agree. That that has been the one part of Shallan's character in this book so far that has been really distasteful is when she calls him Bridge Boy. Now, I think what he's trying to do is to demonstrate how much she's sort of adopting Adolin's behaviors and patterns and and how she's thinking about it from that perspective. But he tells her outright, I don't like it when he calls me bridge boy. Mm -hmm. And she does it anyway. I don't recall if it was before or after, but I think it was after. And I get that. I think the point is that she, that this whole conversation with her is that it doesn't matter where you are in society, you can have a crappy, miserable life and you shouldn't judge people based on their social status. You you don't really know anything about them. Yeah, but can we agree that the people who had a really crappy life and are at the bottom of the social strata had it harder? Can we? <laughs> I think we can. So what helped me when I remembered, and it's not emphasized a whole lot in the book, but it's definitely true, is that in Alethi society, there are a lot. In fact, I think at one point he says most light eyes are not lords and ladies. Yeah. 
there is a huge middle class or even like lower, like working class light eyes who are tenors who yeah. like have to work. They do jobs. They don't get special privileges and that, you know, there are plenty of dark eyes who can rise in social standing to be higher status than many light eyes. Yeah. So at the same time, there is definitely a really messed up system of inequality based on eye color. So like for Shalanda to turn to um, Kaladin and say, well, I think you're the one who cares most about eye color. Give me a break. Like, no, no, that's not true. Yeah, absolutely. Although I did enjoy how she pretty much just comes right out and says what we've been saying all along. Mm hmm. When she says, so you're not culpable at all? Right. For the way you act? Right. And then he says, I'd say not. I mean, just yeah, calling it right out what we've been saying all along. Yeah, that's true. I also like when he says, why, he says, why is it every conversation with you makes me want to claw my face off? And yeah. she says, because I have special training and I collect faces. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is my favorite line of this section. There are a lot of good quotes in this section. Mm-hmm. The dialogue here is is quite good. Yeah. I, I would say the dialogue overall, with the exception of the bridge boy comment, really, really good throughout these chapters. I think that's part of what made me enjoy these chapters so much. Mm-hmm. One, you have two the two main characters we spent the most time with kind of coming together for the first time. Mm-hmm. You also have something kind of happening. Right. So you actually have some stakes. Now, I did not really think either of them were going to die. Mm-hmm. So it's not as though I felt like there was a lot of real danger there for the two of them. But when they fall off that bridge, I didn't. I had no idea who was going to end up dead or alive out of that. Right. I mean, Adolin could have fallen off and fallen through a sword. Mm-hmm. I mean, anything like that could have happened. And, you know, with the chasm fiends and where were they going to go, this was to me, a much more exciting section overall. But I believe that the dialogue itself was a a shining part Mm -hmm. of this area. I don't think of Brandon Sanderson as being like a master of dialogue. He's good at it. But here I think... He's no Scott Lynch, but he's... Yeah, I I like... He's better than I am. Yeah, absolutely better than I am. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I think in this section is really kind of where it shines. Mm -hmm. Shallan is the vehicle, I think, through which he does his best work. I would agree. So far from what I've seen. I I enjoy the way he writes Shallan. Agreed. Yeah. And Lyft. Yeah, I like Lyft a lot. And, I mean, I like both of the female leads I actually I like all the lead characters in Warbreaker as mm-hmm. well. We'll talk more about that yeah. in other chapters, but those are good characters as well. Mm-hmm. Well, chapter 70 is called From a Nightmare. Kaladin and Shallan run from a chasm fiend. Shallan cleverly leads them back to a pile of corpses, which distracts the chasm fiend long enough for them to get away. Kaladin and Shallan's excellent adventure continues as they struggle to get to safety before the high storm. It's funny that you call it Kaladin and Shallan's Excellent Adventure because that's better than the example I came up with, mm-hmm. which is that they are Bogart and Hepburn from the African Queen. You know, it's funny. I first wrote in my notes, Shallan and Kaladin's Excellent Adventure, but then I crossed it out and wrote Kaladin and Shallan's because Kaladin is obviously Bill and yeah. Shallan is obviously Ted. <laughs> Wow, you really you really put some thought into that. I might have put a little thought into it. <laughs> Who's the one with the hot mom? Is it Bill? No, that was Ted. That was Ted. Yeah. <laughs> Missy, I that mean, I could mom. be wrong. Listeners, chime in. It's been a while since we've watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yes, castigate me if I am wrong, but it has been a little while. Are we at a place where we can let the kids watch? No. Okay, all right. I think that is definitely one that we would let our kids watch and be like, oh, I forgot that part was in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably it's probably true. So I like Shalon kind of stepping into the lead here. Mm-hmm. Well, first off, kind of coming up with the idea to save them from the chasm fiend. Yeah. Now, my question is, did she use her light weaving to kind of cover 
their trails. That's what it seemed like to me that she covered a crevice either with darkness or with a where it looked like the outside. She did something. Well, she definitely used Stormlight to keep up with him because at oh, one point sure, yeah. she looks down and says, oh, I thank God. And he keeps looking back and being like, oh, wow, she's keeping up pretty well. Yeah, that there I know she used it. Though at one point, Kaladin does say that as they're running, he looks back and some light flashes in the chasm behind him. And he's not sure what's up with that. So it's hard to know what she was doing, but... That could either be the spren from the chasm fiend or she could be... I got the impression that she was using some sort of light weaving to cover behind them because then he talked about being in darkness. I mean, I know it was getting dark outside at that point, but I don't think it was nighttime yet. It's hard to say. So... I have a little bit of a tangent. Tangent it up. So the chasm fiends come out there and they go through this, you know, pupation process. I don't know what right. the scientific word is it for when you poop out a pupate. Right. <laughs> but um you know, this I'm sure is a very taxing thing for a chasm fiend to go through to make this thing and, you know, leave it behind. It's like giving birth. It's, I'm sure it requires an awful lot of calories to go through that sort of process. So you would imagine that a chasm fiend in doing this would be quite hungry. And there are 200 dead bodies right there. But the chasm fiend chooses to attack them anyway. I don't believe it's because they want their food live. Most crustaceans, you know, are scavengers, and it eats a dead soldier at some point anyway. So I think it's I think it's actually attacking them out of anger. Like it knows that the humans come out here and kill them and and take their gems. It's not attacking them for food. It's attacking them because it's angry at them. I don't know because Shalon, when she's studying it, and I love Shalon's reaction to the chasm fiend. Yeah, like yeah. she's like, I have to see it, and then she's like, Oh, you know, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's gorgeous. <laughs> um, but she says that. Well, the chasm fiend is described as having an almost intelligent face, but she says that it doesn't look like a scavenger because it's. Its shells, look. I mean, its claws look like they're made for cracking chull shells. Yeah. So she says, no, she doesn't look like a scavenger, but it will eat dead bodies if it finds it because it's it's hungry. And it's weird that this one has stuck around that long. Like they come here to pupate and then they go back to where their main living area is Mm -hmm. or where they naturally would be found. So I think that it is just hungry. And when it first attacked them, well, that's what her plan was. When it first attacked them, there weren't dead bodies around. Yeah. But she led it back to where they were. And as soon as it saw them, it stopped chasing them. But I think the idea that the the chasm fiend has some sort of intelligence, maybe it has some sort of investiture. We're not sure because it does have like, it does keep bringing up the strange spren that are around it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely in the realm of possibility. Oh, I know what those sprint are. Oh, yeah? I know what's going to happen. Is that going to be in your prediction? Absolutely. Yes. Something interesting that I jotted down, too, was Shalon at one point thinks of she's kicking herself for letting on that she can draw as well as she can, even though it's, like, going to save her life, but whatever. She thinks at one point, Vale would have had words with me about that. (laughs) And then she thinks it would be nice if Vale, it's too bad Vale isn't down here instead of me. And it's just a weird thing for her to think. Like she, Vale is, like Vale is almost someone different from herself. Even though it's, that was her that was doing all of that in a disguise. Already the disguise has started to become its own personality. Its own personality, and that's something that she has done throughout her life, though, is always compartmentalizing herself, depending on her environment. Well, I think it shows the degree to which she's willing to shut something down and create another personality right? in, in, in a moment of stress. 
Yeah. Which it appears is, you know, what she's done with all the trauma from her childhood. Yeah. One other line I caught is when they're bickering back and forth at each other. And Kaladin says, I'd rather walk these chasms with a compulsive murderer than you. (laughs) And I'm like, Kaladin, you're in the process of plotting a murder. You're the murderer. (laughs) That he knows of. He doesn't know Shalon is also a murderer. She had to be like, oh. Well, I feel like she, I, well, okay, yeah, good point. (laughs) (laughs) All right, good point. I was thinking about Tin, and I'm like, that was self-defense, but like, there's her, both of her parents thing that we (laughs) still haven't really resolved what happened there. Right. There's also, we see, we've kind of, guessed that Kaladin sort of has the hots for Shalon. He's well, first off Well, I think at the end of chapter seventy one it becomes clear. Right. And he's kind of noticed that a little bit, but in this chapter we see Shalon kind of kind of like starting to make eyes at Kaladin a little bit as well. So um he's so intense. His brooding dark eyes. Ugh. Is that a sash symbol I see? his forehead he's dangerous <laughs> d- 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 dangerous like oh he's the angel oh. he just needs to go somewhere else. he just needs to go on the wb or on the cw find his own start his own show <laughs> right make his own show he'll be better on that show he would be way better on that he would show. be way better on that show and then eventually Six he'll learn of acting class. He'll learn how to act, <laughs> and he'll do halfway decent on Bones <laughs> for a long time. For a reasonably long time, yeah, he'll have a good career good for him. For a guy who you know just showed up in the mall one day and got cast in Buffy, right? Uh, okay, well, that was a tangent. Are we <laughs> done with Chapter Seventy? I think so. Chapter Seventy One is called Vigil. Back at the war camp, Teft and the rest of Bridge 4 rotate, watching out for Kaladin's return. In the chasm, Shallan finally gets the hang of mapping the plateaus. She also realizes something important about the Shattered Plains, increasing her urgency to get back to the camp. They seem to be heading in the right direction when they are chased into a fissure by the chasm fiend. Kaladin prepares to face the monster without stormlight, armed only with a spear. A spear... And Shallan's shard blade that she shard finally coughs blade. up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't go out there alone. Take this. She pulls out a little, one of those little plastic onion swords. <laughs> I got this from my last martini. <laughs> Throw it at his eye. So that's a cool moment. What's he going to do? Is he going to touch the shard blade? Knowing what he knows? No, I'm asking. Seriously, what's he going to do? You know what? In about 30, 40 minutes, you'll be able to find out because <laughs> we'll be done this podcast and you can read. Well, let's go, let's back up. Beginning of the chapter, we have Teft and Sigzel on guard duty. They're watching the chasms. Yeah. And like Teft grew up in the worst group of carnies ever. <laughs> I mean, like... <laughs> They got the tilt-a-whirl, you know, they're bringing the little balloons with the dart, somebody's dropping boulders on his mother. Be like, I'll be able to power this salt and pepper shaker with the power of my mind. Somebody stab me. Yeah, the Invisitors are no joke. And then there's a little conversation about tragedy. Mm -hmm. And tragedy is when you turn your clan in to the local authorities and they execute them all. So I really didn't ever pick up on that before, but this time through, I was like, because I always just, it was like, I was like, okay, there's something exciting happening in the other, I'm just going to kind of run past this little part here with Teft, but... I was like, oh, that is weird. And it doesn't seem to me very likely that there's not some higher authority or organization or cabal that was behind that. You know, here is this community that's actively trying to bring back the 
the Knights Radiant. Obviously, there's a lot of people out there invested in that one way or the other. I I wonder who was behind that, yeah. making that decision. Because like Tep said, it doesn't make any sense. Like They weren't threatening or harming anyone. They were being punished for threatening to kill themselves. Like, and so they were all killed. Like, that's crazy. Even for the Alethi, that's crazy. Old darkness showing up and saying, committing suicides against the law. Whack, 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 whack. Oh, Teft also mentions in a kind of a throwaway thought how it's not good for him to have money again. Yeah. So we know there was a, a scene a couple of chapters back where Teft had kind of disappeared and Kaladin was like, oh, where's Teft? And... Tef's like, mind your own business. Mind your own business. I just went to the store to get a pack of cigarettes. And it never came back. Is he a gambling addict? Is he betting money on the chulls? Don't know. Laying so, down some heavy chronar on the chulls. <laughs> Axe hound racing. Sad. We, we've already seen that in this world. Remember there was the gambling... The axe hound fight. The axe hound yeah, fights. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And we know that... Uh, That's Teft, disgusting. Teft was really adamant that he didn't want to be trusted and that Kaladin shouldn't trust him because he lets everybody down. So obviously some something going on. It's going to hit the fan at some point. I let everyone down. I've been a parachute instructor for years. <laughs> um. So two things about Kaladin and Shallan in this part, a couple of things. For Kaladin, I thought it was interesting, this this quote, his father said the same thing again and again about Kaladin, uh, but it, that was who he was. Do they expect him to change? And I thought that was kind of like, like the crux of Kaladin's problem is that he seems to always be saying that. This is who I am. Do you really expect me to change? Yeah, it's fatalism. And at some yeah. point, mm -hmm. he's going to have to decide, yes, I, that I can change and that, yes, I need to change. Like, that is what people do. They need to grow. They need to keep moving forward. And, like, him just being stuck in this spot, grudgingly moving forward step by step on his process of actualization is, like, at some point, he's going to have to get over that. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, to me, I think the the most interesting part of this particular chapter is when Shallan turns at him and says, yeah, I, I get what you're trying to say. It's like this. And she explains everything that he's suffering through. Mm -hmm. And then she's still smiling and she's like, and he, he could recognize that she wasn't just saying that she understood. Mm-hmm true loss, true tragedy, the same way he did, but she was going to choose to not be an asshole about it. That part just gives me goosebumps every time I read it when he realizes, oh, wait, no, she's been through some shit too. Yeah. And she smiles anyway. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. That's the most powerful part of this chapter and really of the whole section. And I hope to God, it's the metaphorical slap in the face he needs to get out of his shit pot mm -hmm. little world that he's been swimming around in mm -hmm. and get back to being a halfway decent, non-murderous character. Well, it certainly seems to wake him up. I mean, and but then... He, but he's had little moments like that, and they haven't really taken hold. Right. Like Adolin, when Adolin kind of greets him at the prison, and he's mm -hmm. been in prison as right. well, and he was willing to kind of take that step and make that sacrifice mm -hmm. for him. I mean, it's I think it's different because Kaladin knows that Adolin does not really understand his right. suffering. He respects what he did, but he doesn't really get it. And I think he sees somebody in Shallan who gets it. Mm-hmm. And is also dealing with it better than he is, mm -hmm. at least as far as he knows. Right. I do love, after she smiles, he looks at her and says, how? And she says, helps if you're crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, 
And he has no idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she might be a little crazy. She might be a little crazy. Might be a little crazy. <laughs> and we get to the end of this chapter, and still, no sill. Yep. Ain't no storm light when she's gone. <laughs> there ain't. It's true. I mean, part of the whole reason why I brought up the screaming of Sill when he touches the shard blade, the screaming of Sill when he falls off the cliff, Mm -hmm. the similarities there is because he's now confronted with this life or death situation with this chasm fiend and a shard and a potential way to survive it. Is he going to tear the Nahelbon completely apart if he Mm -hmm. grabs that sword? Like... Don't know. Don't know. Don't know. Give us your predictions and our interactions, and then you can find out. All right. Brian McClure asks, do you prefer Shalon and Adolin or Shalon and Kaladin? Oh, Shadolin or Shaladin. It's, we, went, we went through that, yeah. Shaladin sounds like a weird soul cast version of Shalit's. And I'm not a fan. Not a fan of shallots. I'm a fan of shallots. Not a fan of weird soul cast veggies. <laughs> True. Also, you feel like the people on the shattered plains would be like Jewel State in Firefly when she saw that strawberry. Mm. They'd be like, "Oh my God, real vitamins!" <laughs> right. Also, I feel like I don't know who I would ship Kaladin with. Like, because I feel like where he's at and he the way that he talks about Tien as being the one who could bring light to me, the only one who could cheer me up. You know, I feel like that's what he's looking for in another person. And until he gets to a point where he doesn't need another person to drag him out of misery, like... It's always going to be dysfunctional. It's always going to be about him and his problems, you know? Well, let's not forget the other important characteristic in that, which is that there are no female characters. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could ship. You know what? I could ship Kaladin with Yasna because she wouldn't take any of his crap. Yeah, I don't think she. Yeah, I, I think she would stick around for that for about five seconds. That's true. Like, I don't need this. <laughs> So Brian also asks, so just who or what exactly is race? So we haven't really talked about the Snapters for a while. That's true. I've kind of we're kind of midst a new letter. So I was yeah. thinking we would at the end of the part next week, we'll read both letters and then we can really kind of dig into them. Brian McClure also says We know that there are people actively trying to prevent the return of the Knights Radiant, even going so far as to kill potential Surgebinders. Do you think they, or someone else like them, was behind Tef's parents' execution? Could they have feared that one of them might actually succeed in becoming Knights Radiant? Yeah, I mean, good thinking. That's kind of, I think, what... Definitely along the same line that we were thinking. Yeah, I think for sure, whether it was, again, darkness as I speculated, or some other group. I mean, I I think anybody kind of deep into the hierarchy of the Voronism religion would likely do that. I mean, Voronism seems to be very strongly against the concept of the Radiance. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't surprise me if they're, you know, at the highest levels of the church, they were like, nope, execute them all. Yep. You know, it's like pretending to be the dragon reborn. Mm-hmm. Off with their heads. That's right. Don't do that. Can't, can't Red fuck eye around is going to come for you. That's right. Susan King says, how are they getting out of the chasm? Are they going to find your Ethiru? Uh, I don't know. That's, don't a, know? Good, that's a good question. I, I don't... Hmm. I, I don't think... Kaladin is going to be able to walk out into the Shattered Plains or into that chasm in a confined space with a shard blade and kill that chasm fiend by himself with no armor, no stormlight, 
I think that's, I mean, I don't know how it's going to end, but that doesn't seem like, I don't know, that seems like a tall order. It seems to me that you have a great weapon there to cut your way through and get to a spot where the Chasm Fiend can't get to you. So if somebody's going to use the shard blade, I my prediction would be that they're going to use it to get away from the Chasm Fiend, not to kill the Chasm Fiend. Well, Susan's theory is that they are going to cut their way into the Undercrem City. Oh, look at that. So, okay, yeah. Yeah, good theory. Yeah. She also asks, how did Shallan survive the fall? She came walking up on Kaladin, so I don't think he saved her, and she's convinced that she saved him. What did I miss? I think that she survived by Stormlight healing her body. Yeah. So Radiance can survive quite a bit. Yeah, she doesn't have... She fell, she landed, but she... If Kaladin, who is barely able to draw in Stormlight under only under extreme circumstances... And he struggles to have sphere enough spheres to keep himself, you know, lit up anyway. Then Shallan, who has none of those limitations, is going to be pumping Stormlight all the time. Mm-hmm. Theo Graham Brown says, finally, we get the Rosharan version of Red Heat. But who's Belushi and who's Schwarzenegger? I mean, <laughs> obviously, Shallan is Belushi. Oh, yeah, for sure. See, I was going to go with twins. Mm-hmm. And I was going to go DeVito Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. and and Kaladin is clearly DeVito in that scenario. <laughs> or is it 48 Hours? we got Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy, Turner and Hooch, mm-hmm. the Fox and the Hound, mm-hmm. Donald and Daisy. I'm just making up pairs of <laughs> characters. <laughs> I feel like it said Turner and Hooch somewhere. I didn't say it on the podcast, but... Oh, I was thinking about Adolin and Kaladin. And I was like, poor Adolin wants it to be like Turner and Hooch. And Kaladin just wants it to be like Turner and shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) You should have said that. I just did. Hey! (laughs) Uh, Brian McClure says, what do you think Kaladin will have to do to get his powers back? I mean, I think he's got to find those words. Uh, yeah, that sounds like he's got to find the second group of words. He he ain't gonna draw no stormlight until he finds those words. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about him grabbing that sword. See, I think this is what made this section so interesting to me is that, like that, to me is the real kind of consequence. The what's at stake. Mm-hmm. Like, I've never thought that Kaladin was ever at risk of dying, mm-hmm. and I do not think that Kaladin will ever be at any real risk of dying. Mm-hmm. Maybe at the end of the fifth book. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing to say he couldn't have his powers taken away mm-hmm. and couldn't have them taken away for a long time. Right. It's the same thing that made it interesting to me when he got his arm cut off. And I was like, oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. why I was disappointed when he just sort of blooped and it, <laughs> grew back i was like what the fuck no consequences you know (laughs) so when his powers got taken away i'm like oh there's actually some stakes here Mm -hmm. and that's what made this much more exciting i think for me Mm -hmm. and i think also what kind of made some of the last several chapters not as exciting is i didn't really there wasn't a lot of stakes right you know we're not at a place in the book where i felt that was necessarily huge but we are 80% 80% of the way through this book. Mm-hmm. And we're yeah. only now really kind of getting anything interesting. I think from here on out, it kind of starts building much more quickly. A lot of stuff's going to happen. I mean, we're, you know, 200 pages from the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So coming down to it. All right. Are you ready for predictions? Yes. Okay. So my prediction, the first is Thunderclasts are the Stormform version of Chasm Fiends. Okay. I don't know why it took me this long to realize that Chasm Fiends, Chasm Fiends and Thunderclasts are basically just like 
the difference between a Parshendian slave form and a Parshendian storm form. Hmm. But that's pretty much what's happening. And that's when I told you all those spren are swimming around them. They're just waiting for the for the transformation. Hmm. You know, whatever the void ringers are gonna bring down is gonna cause all those chasm fiends to turn into thunderclast. Very interesting. Thunder, 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 class. <laughs> I think that the glowing, flying around Shazam figure is a heretofore undisclosed person. Hmm. All right. I think that uh, Kaladin has severed the Nihil bond, mm -hmm. and it won't be restored until he says the words. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Kaladin's going to go all puppy eyes for Shallan. Solid prediction. I don't like it. See, my thought was that he would start to fall for her, and she would be like, I don't want none of that. Mm -hmm. You're all jacked up, son. I hope I'm right. Mm -hmm. I fear I'm not. I'm not giving anything away. <laughs> All right. Do you have anything else? I do not. Oh, Tell I do. Oh, you do. Because we're just going to keep reminding people that on May 25th, we are going to be recording our 100th episode live at Balticon. That's right, baby, live. So if you are in driving distance of Baltimore, come hang out with us and let us know on the Facebook page or message us if you're going to be around because we could use help uh, doing stuff at our panel. We would love to just hook up, have dinner with a bunch of people. We can tell you where to buy the best crab cakes. But we, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, if you are coming to Baltimore, let us know. If you're not coming to Baltimore, come to Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> I know we talk shit about it, but <laughs> it's it's in the, it's really very nice. It's in the three or four block section that is you know very nice. That is actually it's pretty be cool. Awesome. Right? Just stay on the blocks we tell you to stay on. <laughs> no, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. It's like it's like your favorite cousin that you just have to bag on all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's exactly. And and you know, people die there all the time. <laughs> Most corrupt police force in America. <laughs> just that stuff. But it is, you know, <laughs> not, not a big deal. Where can they find us? You're going to have to do that part. I still can't do it. I still can't do it. 93 episodes. 93 episodes I don't know. in? I don't know. Right here in our house? <laughs> I like to hang out on the back porch. <laughs> you can find us on the dukeanduchesspodcast.com. That's our website. You can find us on Twitter at the D&D Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess or... Join our Facebook group page. Join the group page. That's where the cool kids hang out. That's at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the DND group. You can also find us on all of our other social medias, Instagram, uh, on Reddit, on Goodreads. By looking for the Duke and Duchess, you will find us and you will more importantly find your people. Good night. Good night.